This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. The book of Galatians chapter 5. And for my assignment on this evening... We'll be dealing with the fasted prayer life for the believer. Again, and kind of piggybacking off what the other ministers have been saying and really dealing with the things that Minister Hill has been talking about on Sunday morning. And my section of fasted prayer life for the believer is, Is God Grieved With Us? That's the subtitle, Is God Grieved With Us? So as an opening statement, first and foremost, I want you all to be encouraged during this time of fast. You know, stay encouraged. You know, I guess we're in day whatever. I mean, we're getting close to having 10 days left for the last two weeks. Stay encouraged. Stay vigilant. You know, stay consistent in this time of fast, right? Because here's the thing. There's, you know, in, in our pastor said this morning, there's only a span of time for this fast and it's going to be over. And God is trying to deal with us specifically during this time of these 31 days. And so we want to make sure we finish strong in these last two weeks. Finish strong, we make sure that we hear clearly from God. And so once the fast is over, we are ready and prepared to move forward. You know, there's a work that God has called us to do collectively. And that's what I love about this fast here. Everyone is doing it. You know, even from down to the teenagers, you know, to the the older people like myself, right? Everyone is doing it. And and that to me is is a blessing. And God is putting us on one accord and being united in this fast. So I'll make sure I say this. Stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. Now, during this fast, you know, for myself, I have seen areas of improvement. Again, not only around eating habits, you know, having a more healthy diet, a healthy, you know, way we need to, to approach food and the, and the proper foods I need to have, but then also the overall time management. I mean, God has exploded on me about time management. You know, this is an area that I, I thought I was doing pretty good at. You know, that's why, and it's funny because I hear the other, other ministers say things about areas they thought they were doing good at, and then God like, well, there's much more required from you. You know, but it took this prayer and fast for me personally to show me like, you, you know, you're not doing as, as you thought you was doing for the time management. There's much more that, that you can do. And that's why when this prayer and fasting started, it was something that God had put on my heart about distractions. And I had totally just shut down all distractions. What I mean by that, I, I'm not watching any TV, right? I've never been a social media guy, so that's not even an issue for me. But all sports, done. I couldn't tell you where the Cowboys are at. I can't tell you what the University of Texas is doing. I, I have no idea who's in first, last, and guess what? I don't even care. I haven't watched nothing. Right? I've been totally put myself in a place where I can hear from God during this time. I removed the distractions. And, and, and what I have noticed, and God has revealed these things to me in my area, is that you have wasted time. He has shown me in this time of fast where I have wasted time. Again, what I mean by wasted time is not, not doing sinful things, but it's doing carnal things. Catch that, right? It's not the sinful things. It's the carnal activities where I have wasted time. And, and these things cause you, when it talks about time management, you know the carnal things you do, the, the things that you do, again, it's not sinful. I ain't talking about sinful stuff. You should already put that away. But the carnal things that you, cho- you do is more than just, like I said before, about distraction of TV or, or sports or, or news or whatever. It's more than just that activity. It's how you think on these things. You know, in other words, once the game is, is over, I'm still thinking about the game. 
right? Once the news is done, I'm still thinking about our president and, and, and things that are going on. Matter of fact, I don't know what's going on with him either. I have no idea. Hadn't seen nothing. Because I, the Lord has dealt with me about, I've been wasting time. My thought life. I've been wasting time in my mind and my thinking. I have to get back to focus on God. Because I think a lot of times we, don't, we think about this fast. And again, it, it, it is very crucial about our eating habits. But think about your time. Think about what you think on the most. Or what you think about all, what you think about all the time. Our mentality. And that's something that God had, had exposed to me in the areas that I need to change. I, I waste too much time. With my thinking. Right? And so I'm like, oh, okay, Lord. I need, I need to spend more time thinking about you. Thinking about what he wants me to do. Right? More than just caught up with things of this world. The cares of this world. So it took this fast to show me how much time I've wasted. The things that I need to change regarding even my sleep time. And my leisure time. So, you know, we have our sleep time and our leisure time. Right? There's the things that God has exposed to me about those areas as well. You know, you can do without less, you know, you can do without less sleep. And again, what I'm doing, I'm exchanging less sleep for more time with God. Understand, I'm not ch- exchanging less sleep to do more carnal things. Watching more of the other distraction stuff. No. But I, on purpose, am not taking away less sleep so I can spend more time with God. And hopefully we'll get to some of that on this evening. And then my leisure time. You know what your leisure time is, right? You know, that's the me time. Right? Whatever, that, whatever it is that, that you like to do. God's like, you know, you're wasting time there. And there's nothing wrong with leisure. There's nothing wrong with getting away. There's nothing wrong with, with having a, a time where, you know, where you're just you know, not really doing anything. But are you wasting time in that matter? You understand what I mean by that? You know, are, are you so caught up in, hey, you know, because when it comes to leisure time, when it comes to your sleep time, you know, you prepare for leisure. You know, you already make preparation. And so the time I spend preparing for my leisure, I just, that's more time spent. It's not like I just take a block of time and say, okay, when this time comes, I'm going to go ahead and do leisure thing. No, I prepare for the leisure. And God's like, you just, there's time. All that time adds up. And God's like, you're wasting time there. There's time you can be spending with me. And so these are areas that, that me personally, I'm like, okay, God, I, I, I hear you. Because in this fast, God will give you, give you strength to address your flesh. Catch that. That's what I, I, I love to tell you. Don't miss this dispensation that we're in. God is giving you strength to address your flesh. What I mean by your flesh, right? Those things that are hidden that only you and God know about. See, there's, there's things on the outside that, you know, that, that people may understand. Say, oh, that person got this problem. This brother got that problem. But there's things that only you and God know about. And this fast, God is exposing those things to you. And he's giving you the strength to now address it. You have to address those hidden things. And again, you know nothing's hidden from God. But it took the fast to expose it to you. Right? And now God's like, now it's exposed. Let's address it. That only you and God know about it. And again, your wife doesn't know about it. You know, your, your parents don't know about these things. But God and you know about it. And now it's time to address those areas in your life. Stop playing games. Stop putting a facade about some... You know, we have some real issues. Personally. We all do. I have them. And God's revealed these things to me. And like, let's address that. We're going to address your flesh. Now, I told you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. 
Galatians 5 and 16 reads, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Then it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And again, this is something that I know that Minister Hill covered during family life class, very extensively about the works of the flesh. But here's what the Lord called out for me. In verse 16, that we have to walk in the Spirit, that ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? You have to walk in the Spirit. And so the objective for this teaching that I have is to examine our walk to see if God is grieved with us. That's the objective. We want to examine our walk to see if God is grieved with us. Right? And so, again, verse 16 talks about walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is mindful of what the flesh is, right? The flesh is the Adamic nature. Right? The sinful nature that was passed down from Adam. Again, we understand these doctrines. I have been born into sin. You have a sinful nature. That's the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to know anything pertaining to God. Not at all. The flesh is at odds with God. Again, we saw it in verse 17. The flesh lusted against the Spirit. They're not on the same team. So your flesh and the Spirit are not working together. They are against each other. Never confuse that. Think my flesh and my spirit is working. No, they are against. They are contrary against one another. But I have to walk in the Spirit. And that way I will not fulfill the lust, the desires of this flesh. So I've got to examine my walk. So in this fast, again, God is revealing to you what you are not willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Again, because your flesh is an area that you're not willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Such as, think about this. Can you sacrifice coming to church to pray and seek God's will during this fast? See, that's the thing about it, right? What's hindering you from coming actually to the church, to the facility, to pray in this time of the fast? See, that's what God is revealing to you. That's part, it's your flesh. Your flesh will tell you all kinds of excuses why you can't come up here and, and pray. You know the first thing your flesh is going to tell you? You can pray at home. That's the first thing it's going to say to you. And again, when the flesh tells you you're going to pray at home, don't say, well, it sounds like the flesh is working with the Spirit. No, the flesh tells you you can pray at home because the flesh knows at home where all the distractions are at. You know, that's where the flesh is getting his feel at the house. But to come here in the church, you know, you, you think about it. You come in the church, but there, there's, no, there's no frills here, right? You know, when you come here to pray, we didn't provide no food. Right? You're just here to pray. The, the, matter of fact, the lights are, you know, there's no music playing. The lights may or may not be on to your, to your satisfaction, depending on who's here. Some people like the lights off when they pray. Some people like the lights on. Again, the, there's no frills. Your flesh is not going to be entertained while you come here and pray. Matthew, you may walk in here during prayer time and it's very quiet. You may not hear any noise. And your flesh is like, I don't want to be there. But are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to come? See, these are the things God is, is, is showing us. He's revealing to us in this fast. That's that sinful nature. That's the flesh. Alright, so let's break down this word in verse 16. The word we're going to break down today is going to be walk. Again, it says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk 
in the spirit. Walk denotes being occupied. In other words, walking obviously is an effort. You know, you say you're walking, you know, I'm walking now, right? I have to put forth effort. I can't say I'm walking right now because I'm standing still. So obviously walking denotes effort. And, it's, and the effort is what you are being occupied with. Don't say you're walking when you're not occupied. Being idle is not walking. You have to be occupied. So, so walking denotes represents being occupied. And then as we walk, <clears throat> we should be occupied with His Spirit. That's what He means by walking, walk in the Spirit. That means I should be consumed when I'm walking. I should be consumed with the fruit of the Spirit in my walk. That means my walk has purpose. It has direction. It has guidance by His Spirit. In my walk, I am consumed by His Spirit. Consumed by the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, this is, this is amazing to me because people do a lot of walking, but are they consumed or occupied with the fruit of the Spirit in their walk? In other words, you can walk towards sin. You can walk towards the flesh. You know, you can, like, the, like it says here, right? You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a walk in the flesh as well. Like we say, hey, you've been walking in your flesh. You've been doing that for a long time. Matthew, you've been doing that all the days of your life. You know, you are consumed with the desires and the lust of this flesh. You are walking in the flesh. But he said, I got to walk in the Spirit. That means I got to be led by the Spirit in my walk. I got to be occupied with the Spirit of God in this walk. That's the only way I'm not going to be uh, fulfilling the lust of my flesh. So again, a walk denotes a journey. Right? It's, it's a journey I'm heading towards. It's a specific destination. Right? When you're walking in, in the Spirit, there is a destination. There's somewhere you're heading. Well, I don't know where I'm walking to. See, that? then you're not walking in the Spirit. God is not leading you around idly. Oh, go here, go there, go here. No, that's not God. See, that's what I'm saying. You can tell whether you walk in the Spirit or not. Because God will give you a destination. There's a specific place that you need to be heading towards. You're not just walking just to be walking. That's why I think, that's why I think about even with the, the fast, right? You know, that's why for me personally, again, going back to the fast, you know, it's good to lose weight. You know, it's always good to lose weight. But I can care less. That's not why I'm praying and fasting is to lose weight. That's why, you know, personally, I'm just saying this for me. I hadn't even got on the scale. Don't, it doesn't even matter. Not getting on the scale. For what? The scale is not dictating what my prayer and fast is about. See, I'm walking. I'm not, it's not, I, I'm, my, my, my purpose is on what God is saying to me. It's not about losing some pounds. Because trust me, the same way you lose pounds, you can gain some pounds. And then what happens? Then your walk changes. If you're sitting there watching the scale and watching it go up and down, and you're going to be all caught up with the scale number instead of caught up with the prayer and the fasting time. So again, walking denotes a journey. You're heading towards a specific destination. It has a particular direction to get somewhere. And walking also denotes not being in a hurry. And this is something the Lord has been dealing with me about is just wait, be patient, right? But still walk, right? But be patient. Don't be in a hurry. Because there's some things I just want to go after and like, no. And, and everything's beautiful in His time. It's a walk, right? So walk denotes you, you can't be in a hurry when you're walking. What happens when you be in a hurry and walking? You're going, you're going to wear yourself out. 
Right? You're going to fade away real quick. Right? So, you, so the walking denotes, again, not being in a hurry, but keeping a steady pace. See, my walk in the Spirit, being consumed with the fruit of the Spirit in my walk, it is a steady pace. It is consistency. It is endurance. It is on purpose. That's a walk. That's what made me about walking in the Spirit. I keep a steady pace. I'm consistent. I'm able to endure. I'm not slowful. Slowful means not moving at the right pace. But I'm staying on purpose. That's how I walk in the Spirit. I got to stay steady. You know, I don't want to go through these peaks where you're up and down in my walk in the Spirit. Sometimes you see me, sometimes you don't. Sometimes, sometimes I can, I, I, I'm okay, I, don't know, I feel like I'm having a good day today, but then other days I'm not. No, are you consistent? See, again, if you're walking in the Spirit, you, you know, you consume the fruit of the Spirit. I'm always consumed with love. Everything that deals with the fruit of the Spirit, I'm, I have to be consumed with in this walk. That means, to be honest, you should never have a bad day. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize because, you know, I'm having a bad day. What is it? That means you're not consumed with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's impossible in this flesh. I understand where you're coming from. I, I understand. You are already making excuses for you walking in your flesh. Instead of, instead of going forth and putting forth the strategy to stay walking in the Spirit. I'm giving no occasion to this flesh. I'm not going to make an excuse for it. So I can go after the lust of my flesh. So I can't be in a hurry in my walk. My walk in the Spirit is consistent. I have a destination that I'm heading to. And I'm being led by the Spirit of God to get there. That, that means God has given me the power to, to go and achieve what He wants me to do. You know, in this walk, with, with, in my walk in the Spirit, you understand, it's not by me. You know, all I'm providing is just the vessel. But, you know, it's almost like God, you know, is pushing you. The push and the power comes from God. I'm just the vessel. He's like, just keep walking. You know, one thing about walking too, I, I want to mention, don't quit. A lot of us, we get in the walk in the Spirit and we, we back off. We quit. We turn around. We go in a different direction. Right, and you know what help you know what, what what causes us to turn around and give up and quit? Because in this walk you're gonna have opposition. The adversary is real. Don't forget about all the teachings that have already gone forth about spiritual warfare. There is nothing changed. Matter of fact, in, in this time of prayer and fasting, you should you should be able to recognize the enemy. Spiritual warfare is real. So in your walk you're gonna have that opposition. But I'm not gonna quit. There's a destination that I'm heading towards. So turn to me to Hebrews chapter 4, because what is that destination? Hebrews chapter 4. And again, we've been hearing this already on these Sunday mornings from Minister Hill about what is this destination. But we're going to hear it again. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse number 10. It says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So what is the destination in this walk in the Spirit? It is to enter into his rest. To walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh is the labor to enter into the rest where I am now ceasing from my own works. That's the walk. That's the destination. 
Will I ever get there? Will I ever get there where I get to a place where I'm, I'm entering to His rest, where now at that point I have ceased from my own works? That's my walk. That's why it's continue. That's why it's steady. That's why it's purposeful. That's the journey. That's the destination I am on. To get to a place where I am no longer doing my own works. I have to cease from them. I have to stop it. Because my own works are the manifestation of the flesh. That's your own works. Again, the flesh is self-seeking, self-indulgence, self-fulfilling. That's the works of the flesh. You have to cease from those works. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you are all about your flesh. And you're not going to enter into the, into the rest of the Lord. You can continue on with your own works. So when I talk about the flesh and talk about the manifestation of the flesh, again, these are those things that, again, are self-seeking, self-indulgence, self-fulfilling. Again, these are the works of the flesh. But in the rest that is my destination is the fruit of the Spirit. That's my destination. And again, I, I hope you catch it. It's, it's, God is so good, right? He, he's putting all these things together. He's, he's telling you to walk, but He's, he's leading, you where to, where, where you, where he leading you where the destination is, and He's putting the power on you to get there. What I mean by the fix is already in. All you got to do is walk. God has given you all the power and ability to, to accomplish what He wants you to do. He set it up already where it doesn't require any ability from you. All you got to do is just walk. God is so good. So when I walk in the Spirit, I can fulfill the purpose of God over my life. See, that's the rest. When I get to a place where I'm fulfilling the purpose of God for my life. What do you mean the purpose of God for my life? You have a purpose for being. There's a purpose why you are here. Right? In, in September 22nd, 2019, you are here. There is a purpose for that. And the only way you're going to find that purpose is through God. It's not by accident that you're here. Well, brother, you know the situation and how my parents got together. It's not by accident how you are here. Right? You may be conceived from a test tube. But it's not by accident why you're here. You're here on purpose. God is not surprised. And the only way to fulfill that purpose is to stay with Him. You've got to walk in the Spirit. So what is this rest? Again, we understand our destination is is this rest, and and now we're going to labor to enter into this rest. And so when we say what is rest, again, rest for Israel, and this is what it's talking about here in this passage, talking about Israel. The rest for Israel, as we continue to learn, was the land of promise. It was a physical place, a location. A promised land, where where the land is flowing with milk and honey. God had already had a place of rest for them. The land of promise. But for us as believers, this rest that we have is in Christ. Christ is our rest. Again, the place where we cease from our own works, now I'm in Christ. I've ceased from all my works. I'm in Christ. See, it's in Him that I move. It's in Him that I live. It's in Him that I, I am my very being. It's in Him. I have ceased my own works. My rest is in Christ. So, so as, as believers, our rest is not a physical place. It's not a physical location. Why is that so important? Because a lot of us are trying to get somewhere physically, right? You know, we have our own ambitions. Again, back to our flesh, where we need to be at. We have our own destination. 
By the time I turn a certain age, I want to be here. By the time I turn a uh, you know, certain age, I want to have this done. I want to be married, got children. I want to have this kind of job. I want to have this kind of money. You know, we have our destinations and places. And that's, what we're at. that's our flesh, our desires. But our rest for us is in Christ. And that's what we should be laboring to enter into, His rest. Because in Christ, trust me, in Christ, He's not looking for your works. What works can you do in Christ? That's going to benefit him. What, what power did you bring? All things were created by him and for him. What are you? Every, everything belongs to him. What are you bringing to the table? God, I just need I just need you to be a willing and obedient vessel, because his power will do all the work. But you got to be that vessel. So that's my labor. That's my walk. I'm entering to labor to into his rest, to be in Christ. Now, we're in Hebrews 4. Turn to Hebrews 3. So now I hope we understand our destination, our rest, our walk. Now the question is, is God agreed with us? And again, it's a good comparison that we just saw here with Israel. We're comparing Israel to us as believers. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And again, these passages of Scripture should be very you know, familiar to you because we've been reading these every Sunday morning. So you've been coming Sunday morning, you should be, this, again, this should be fresh for you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear His voice, harden you, not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works, Forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter <clears throat> into my rest. So now, it says here in verse, verse 9 and 10, it says, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for forty years. That means Israel. Saw God's work for 40 years. They saw it. They didn't hear about it. They saw it. Catch this, right? They saw God's work for 40 years. And then verse 10, now he says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. Now when God says grieve, let's look at this word grieve. Grieve means that he said he is unable to move forward. That's what it means to be grieved. You're unable, he's unable to move forward because something has happened. And here's the thing with us. Is God grieved with us? Is God unable to move forward with us because something has happened? And again, and what's happened is not on God's end. It's on our end. He can't move forward. You hear that? He cannot move forward with you. Why? Because you won't allow him. Because you're after your flesh. And God will give you over to your flesh. You know, God's not going to beg you to walk with Him. God's not begging us to walk in the Spirit. He's not pleading with you to walk in the Spirit. He just put He puts it out there. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Blessings and curses I set before you. Life and death. You have the ability to choose. He said, but He tells you, I put before you life and death. He says, choose life. So that you can live. But you have a choice. You can choose death. 
And God say, go ahead and choose death. You have a pattern for your life that's heading that way. But God's like, I'm, able, I'm unable to move forward with you. So God said he was grieved with that generation. Now, if we examine why he was grieved with that generation for 40 years, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because that gives us a good outline of why God was grieved with them for 40 years. Because you're like, well, God is a just God. He is a long-suffering God. Well, let's see what they did for 40 years. Israel. And it's good to talk about Israel, right? Because we don't want to talk about us. You know, oh, yeah, they, they deserved it. That's right. Grieve You can't move no further with them. That's right, God. They were wrong for that God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's starting at verse number 1. It says, Moreover, brother, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ verse 5 but with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness and so we see here in, in chapter 10 it's interesting to me how in this, in, this, in this passage, it talks about all. In other words, everyone had the same spiritual drink. Everyone had the same spiritual meat. All of them did. In other words, you all had the same opportunities. We all have the same opportunities to walk in the Spirit. To enter labor into His rest. All of us do. It is, it's not like God's provided rest for somebody, the one person and not the other. We all have the same opportunity. Right? In other words, God is a just God. But you're going to make that choice. It's up to you. But he said in verse 5, he said, But many of them God was not well pleased. Now, why was God not well pleased? You know, that's, that's not a good testimony when God says he's not well pleased. With many of them. I just want to hear at Church of Living Water, is God well pleased with, is God well pleased with many of us? Is God not well pleased with many of us? And it's all based on our walk. Are we walking with Him? Or are we walking with our flesh? So now we see, why, why would God not well pleased with them? Verse 6, it said, Now these things were our examples to intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So it says here that Israel, those coming out of, of Egypt, they lusted after evil things. What does it mean lusting after evil things? Right? Anything outside of God's purpose that you are lusting after is an evil thing. Let me say that again to you. Anything outside of God's purpose that you are lusting after is an evil thing. Understand, the thing is not evil, but you lusting after it outside of God's purpose is evil. So they lusted after the evil thing. They got outside of God's purpose. They lusted after. You know, what do I mean by lusted after, right? That, that's what captured their heart. God didn't capture their heart. The, thing, the evil things they wanted captured their heart. Again, God said he was grieved with this, this generation. Forty years they saw his work. 
You, if you see God's work for 40 years, but still you're lusting after things that has nothing to do with God's purpose, that's evil. Verse 7, it says, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And here's the thing about being an idolater, I covet, being covetous. Again, these things have been taught over and over again here. Again, just here recently about idolatry. But the people sat down to eat and to drink. How did they eat and drink in the wilderness? God provided it for them. In other words, it's amazing how God did. God brought them out of Egypt, brought them into a place where He provided everything for them to eat and to drink, but then they rose up to do what? Play. Never gave God any glory. And, and, and the Bible says this for, for, is this example is for us, for our intent, that we should learn from this. In other words, has God provided all these things for you? I think some of us have forgotten how good, how good God has been to you. I think you've forgotten the goodness of the Lord. God has sustained you. God has kept you. And God continues to keep you and sustain you. And you've forgotten. But you rise up to play. You know, in this time of, of prayer and fasting, you know, I never hear, I haven't heard no comment about people saying, you know, I just don't have enough money to go buy those things that's on the list. You know, those fasting, the things that we need to fast in our, our food. You know, certain food we should be eating. I never hear anyone complain about they don't have the funds to actually go buy it. Right? The nuts and the whatever, you know, you're eating, whatever, not eating. You know, you know whatever. You, I never hear nobody talk about finances when it comes to that. No complaints at all. You mean God's provided you income to go and, and buy the food to prepare for the fast? How good God is. You had to go beg, borrow, and plead to, to buy food to go on a fast that God called us to be on. That's the faithfulness of God. See, I'm saying it's in the small things that we miss God. And we go home and then we make our groceries, go to the store and buy stuff. And like it's, we don't ever give God any kind of thanks, no glory. We just we think it's all about us. Go get in the grocery line, swipe our card, and it goes through and you're just gone and, and you think nothing of it. Never thank God. But what if you didn't have it? What if, you couldn't, what if you didn't have the money to go buy the fruits and the vegetables? See, that's what I mean by idolatry, right? The people sat down, eat and drink, and they rose up to play. They forgot how good God is. God is my source. He is my sustainer. See, I'm trying to give you a picture of Israel. Not you, right? Israel, how God was greedy with them for 40 years. Because, of course, you wouldn't sit down and eat and rise up and play. You're going to rise up and give God glory. Verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication. <laughs> Some of them committed. And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. You know, some things God is just not playing with. <laughs> you know, it's, he said, let, neither let us commit fornication. Again, he's talking about sexual immorality. And he said, as some of them did. Right? You know, because some people, they, I'm telling you, when it comes to fornication, I don't know what it is about fornication, sex outside of marriage, people play with it. You know what I mean? People play with it, they're like, well, that's not really fornication. Or God understands. Or me and this girl are going to get married. You know, we have all these caveats around our fornication. Where God's like, don't do that. Don't commit fornication. 
you should not be having sex outside of marriage. Again, marriage meaning the marriage covenant. Right? Between a male man and a female woman. Any sex outside of that, that that's called fornication. Let me help you out. If, if you're sending pictures of you in, in the nude from your texting to some other female, that's sex outside of marriage. Well, I'm not really fornicating. I'm just sending her, you know, a picture of my junk. Really? And she's sending me a picture of her junk. Whatever the junk is in the trunk. Because that's not, that's not fornication. See, don't get quiet now. He said, at one day, three and 20,000 fell. In one day. You had to go back and read what happened with this plague. God was going to say, I'm going to be a plague to you. The only reason to stop this was, was one of the, a man came and actually thrust his, 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 uh, his, his uh, what's called, into, into the, the individual that was in the act of doing it. And God stopped it right then. Because they all were falling down, dead. Stop playing with fornication. Stop justifying it. So you've got to walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, has no place for fornication. Fornication is not found in, in, the, in the fruit of the Spirit. That's not one of the things listed. It's in the works of the flesh. It says, verse 9, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and was destroyed of serpents. Now, here's a good one here. It says, don't tempt Christ. How do we tempt Christ? You know, the, the person that we should be laboring to enter into his rest, now we tempt him. When we try to justify our bondage with spiritual rationale. That means by tempting Christ. You justify your bondage with spiritual rationale. What's an example of that? On your jobs, right? You, you go in and say, well, you know something? I'm, I went and got a promotion on my job, which gives me more money. But is that promotion your job and that new job position going to take you away from church, from hearing God's word? Because in your mind, you know, not in your mind, but in, in your verbal, what you'll say is, well, I got more money. I'm able to give more now. Yeah, I got you. But you giving more now is going to take you away from you receiving the word of God. Just like we heard this morning, obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what it means by tempting Christ. We heard about a person this morning that tempted Christ. We heard how King Saul was. He was in bondage when God told him to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he did not. But you know, if you go back and read that passage, if you go back and actually read it, and we read some of it this morning, you see that when, his first, when, when, the, when the prophet came down, he said, Oh, I've done the Lord's commandment. I've done what God had commanded me to do. And then, and then Samuel said, What is this bleeding of sheep that I hear then? If you utterly destroy everything, why am I hearing the contrary? That's how we are on the outside. Again, that's what I mean by you tempt Christ. On the outside, oh, I've done what God has commanded me to do. You're trying to rationale, justify your bondage by something spiritual. Because guess what? It appeals to your flesh. Your flesh wants that promotion in the job. Your flesh wants to make more money. Your flesh wants to brag. Back on social media and sell everybody how you got a raise. That's your flesh. 
Don't tempt Christ. Don't justify your bondage with, with this, using a spiritual rationale. Don't, don't tempt Christ. You know, this, to me, this is about people being religious. You know, and I hear comments from people about these things, right? Things that they're doing naturally, all of a sudden they're going to put God's spin around it. Like, what is that? Right? You know, like, like things around, like, you heard this, this more about things about sports and activities that we're doing, we're leading our children to go do. You know, how can we put, you know, we put spiritual things around those things. If you play a certain sport, that builds character. What character does that build? Because in my Bible, I understand where character comes from. It's not sports. Because then I'm thinking, what if I don't play sports? I don't have no character? If character only comes through sports, then I mean, a lot of us are left out. See, I said, but we put spiritual things around these things and rationalize it. That's tempting Christ. You're not being led by Him. So verse 9 again, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them did also. Tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Verse 10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now you see, I hope you understand the progression that's happening here, right? They actually were destroyed. You know what destroyed means? They're gone. Again, God said he was grieved with that generation. He said, I swear they're not going to enter into my rest. For them, it was, a, it was a land of promise. They were not, you know, like God, like, you are not going to get there. You're not going to go in. And so now here you get to this one about murmuring. So what is murmuring? Murmuring means to grumble. To whisper your discontentment. You ever hear people start grumbling? You almost can't hear what they're saying. Like, what did you say? That's murmuring. But see, the thing about God, He knows exactly what you said. Because he, he knows where your heart is. You can grumble all you want. God's like, that's what you murmuring against me? Again, the same one that you saw his work for 40 years, now you're murmuring. you got to grumble. You got to whisper under your breath to say things that you know, your dislike, your discontentment. Because guess what? It's not appeasing to your flesh. You didn't get your way. And they saw his works for 40 years. God said, I was grieved with them. I'm going to tell you now stop your murmuring, stop your grumbling, stop saying stuff under your breath. Right? Because you know you got enough sense not to say it out loud. So you say it on your breath. But guess who hears that? God hears it all. God hears it from the very source, which is your heart. So we see this is why God was grieved. And this is why God's like, no, I'm unable to move forward with this, that generation. How can God move forward with them when they're grumbling about Him? How can God take them somewhere else when they're complaining about where they are now? See, don't miss that. How God going to take you forward when you complain about where you are now? So why was God agreed with them? Because they were not content with their walk. See, I have to be content, settled, stable in my walk. And what shows me that I, I'm not content, when I'm not stable in my walk, is I start murmuring. I start tempting him. I'm caught up in fornication. I'm caught up in lusting after evil things. These are things that shows God that I am not content in my walk. 
your murmuring, your complaining, you being unthankful, ungrateful. And the classic one that they did, they blame Moses. And how we do here, we blame those in delegated authority for our walk. Now, how are you going to blame delegated authority for the stuff that you got into? Your walk. Because delegated authority has to address you, but you don't want to commit the act. You don't want to commit the transgression. Now you're mad at delegated authority because they got to address you. See, they murmured against God, and God's delegated authority has to check them about murmuring against God, and then they got mad at the delegated authority. Instead of getting mad at yourself for murmuring against God. Why are you mad at Moses? Why are you mad at those in this leadership? That's checking you about your murmuring, your complaining. See, understand, remember, we learned this in AMC, all lawlessness has to be confronted. And when the confrontation, when the confrontation comes, no, that's from God. You're looking at the vessel, the individual. It's coming from God. If you don't receive it from God, then something's wrong with you. So God was grieved with them. God could not go any further with that generation. See, they didn't mix faith with what was preached to them. Right? Faith. Again, the things that we continue to learn about faith. They didn't mix faith. Again, all these things happened to them, right? Things that they murmured about, things that are idolatry. They didn't mix faith with what was preached to them. And you know, some of these things were preached to them, they actually saw it. They didn't mix being trust in God what was taught to them. Being able to endure until we see Christ face to face. The ability to endure. You know, that's the things we learn about faith. The, I'm able to endure. See, the only way I'm able to endure is I have trust in God. Because again, he's the, one that, he's the one that can keep me. He's the one that brought me where I am now. I'm, I'm telling you, don't... Don't forget why you are still here. The only reason you are still here is because of God. You can look back over your life and think about how many times you could be taken. I'm talking about actually taken out of here. Well, your number was up. It was only the grace of God. And you know that at that time you was in serious bondage. Matter of fact, you should have been taken out. But only because of God you are still here. So I'm staying with him. That's my I trust him. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. My faith is in him. And see, again, we just looked at Israel. Like I said, that's not us, though. We'll get to us in a minute. Maybe not tonight, but we'll get to us. It's good to talk about Israel, right? He was unjust, fornicators, idolaters. Hey, we worshipers here. Hebrews chapter 2. Again, our faith should be in Christ. We've got to mix what we hear was preached to us with faith. But look at this in Hebrews 2, starting in verse 17 and 18. Pulling out these passage scriptures when we talk about our faith. Hebrews 2, verse 17 reads, Wherefore, in all things, ye behold him to be made like unto his brother, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. 
And so the person they're talking about here is, is Christ. He is our faithful, merciful high priest. And again, you see how he's faithful and high priest in things pertaining to God. That's what his faithfulness is. It's all about God. You've got to line yourself up with that. Verse, verse 18, it says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, that succor is an interesting word. So, our faith is secured in Jesus. Understand it. Your faith is secured in Jesus. My trust and my hope is secure in Jesus. And he is able to succor me. Succor means to come to aid of someone in time of need. He's there for that. He's there to come to aid. In my time of need, my time of temptation, he is there to succor me. He's there to aid me. To help me. To assist me. He is there. That means, guess what? I've got to turn to him. See, that's what happens in our time of need. We don't turn to him to help us and, 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 and guide us. No, we're going to turn to this flesh. Because remember we're talking about here, I'm walking in the, in the spirit so I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But in my time of temptation, when my flesh is tempting me to get outside the purpose of God, Jesus is there to aid me, to help me to endure the temptation. That means that temptation won't overthrow me. I won't give in to the lust of my flesh. And understand, we are all tempted. There's thing that tempts all of us. I'm sure in this time of prayer and fasting, you identify the areas that have tempted you. Again, some of it is food, but some of it is much more deeper than, than a meal. It's got you tempted. But He, Christ, He is the one that's able to secure me. To bring me aid and help. And here's the thing we've been learning, been hearing about. We've been talking about these crossroads. Our life, it, after life is full of crossroads. Right? And we, we learn who's at the crossroads, right, when we get there. It's going to be you. Right? It's going to be Christ. And it's going to be the adversary, the devil. So in our time of being tempted, when his flesh is trying to tempt us to do something outside of the purpose of God, I understand Christ is there. He's able to secure you. He's able to show you, choose me, and he'll help you to make that decision. But also who's going to be there is the adversary. And here's the thing. Even if you don't recognize it is the adversary, the adversary is there. See, in our mind, we think of the adversary, the devil. We think of, you know, what we see in our movies and TV. And so we're looking for that image. That's not, you'll never see that. That's not even real. But he's there. Now, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to examine a man that came to this crossroad and see how Jesus secured him. I mean, this just opened up for me. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Starting at verse... Let me get there first. Starting in verse 22. Matthew 14 and 22. It says, In straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So here we see Jesus told his disciples to get into the ship and go on to the other side. Right? He didn't go with them. 
And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, oh man, he was there alone. Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sheep. Excuse me. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. The waves were was against the ship. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boistering, boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? And when they were come unto the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, we're going to just take some of these past scriptures and break a few of them down. Because, again, what we talked about is Jesus. Our faith is secure in Jesus. He's there to help us. And then we talk about the crossroads that we come to, right? You're going to be there. Christ is going to be there. And the adversary is going to be there. Now, in this past scripture, we see here that First of all, jump into verse uh, 25. It says, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what is a fourth watch? What, what, you know, it's amazing how there's... You look at things in the Bible, and I'm like, I didn't know that was even there. And God said, look it up. So I, I looked up what fourth watch means. Fourth watch is a time that was scheduled from 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm sorry, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So those three hours between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. is considered the fourth watch. That means they were out there in the early, early morning. And it said there before here, right, that Jesus went apart to pray. So why is the fourth watch significant? Because at the fourth watch from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., it talks about how that's the time before, right before dawn comes up. And, of course, now, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm heavy into our prayer and fasting time, right? I know the times that I've been in here between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's an interesting feeling then. We're on watch. You know, at 3 a.m., you know, you, you kind of, you, when you're here at the church at 3 a.m., again, on watch, you know, you don't expect to see anything. People may come, you know, and they come in and like, okay, and we're going to make sure they're here praying. But from the outside, you know, any little movement, you're like, what's going on? Because you don't expect nothing to happen at 3 a.m. You're on watch. You're on alert. Right? So 
when he's talking about a fourth watcher, they, they were on alert. And then Jesus appeared to them on the sea, walking. Again, we were talking about, he wasn't running, he was walking on the water. But then they didn't know who it was, because again, like, like I said, 3 a.m. or like, wait a minute, yeah, what is this? We don't expect to see anybody on this water. And my thing is, at 3 a.m. or between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., how do you even saw him? How did you know somebody was walking in the water? And again, these were trained, you know, these disciples, they were trained fishermen. They understand. So it's amazing to, to, to see this in action, right? To understand this, this picture. So when they recognized it was him, they thought it was, again, they saw somebody walking, they thought it was a spirit, a ghost. And no one was in fear. But then Jesus calmed them down. Because here comes the crossroads, right? Fear will grip you in the time of your temple. But now you're at a crossroad. And at the crossroad, is Jesus there? You are there and the adversary is there. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. He comforted them in their time of fear. Right? But then we have those that are like, well, like Peter, I don't know if it's you or not. Have you ever been in a place where you, you, you believe you heard from God? Be like, God, I'm just not sure that was you or not. God has told you to do something, but you're like, God, was that you? God, if that's you, then this. I guess, I'm sorry, maybe that's me. I, I've been there before. I've been there before where I've asked, I've heard from God, but I'm like, God, you know, I, I know I, I should just take you as your word, but I just need a little something else. Just to help confirm that it was you that just spoke to me. I've been there. And, then, and that's where Peter was. Peter answered and said unto him in verse 28, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And then look what the Lord said. Come. See, my faith is secured in Jesus. By Jesus saying come, that means guess what? I can come. My faith is in him. My trust is in him. What I believe on is in him. That means all the power that I need to walk on water is in that one word come. Because he said it. See, what I love about this, they didn't just go out there and start jumping in the water. They would all start to drown. I can do what he does. They had to wait till he said, come. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You better learn to obey God when he speaks to us. He is telling you in this time, again, we've heard this thing before. The table is set, but what you need to do? Come. Everything you need for deliverance, he has at the table is already set for you. Ministers to uh, come. See all these things. I'm telling you, do you I, don't, I think we miss God. I mean, all these messages go together. God is saying something to us collectively at this time. Come, receive from Him. What's been ailing things that you have been needing for you? God's like, come. I will refresh you. Again, this is the time He's going to give you the strength you need to overcome your flesh. Come. But again, like I said, at that place of the crossroad, Jesus is there, but the adversary is there as well. Right? And so, when Peter was come down out of the ship, and I like this, he had to come out of the ship. Now, you imagine the other disciples there watching him? And they didn't say they said anything. He had to get out of the ship, on the water, and he went to Jesus. 
Now notice his focus was. I'm coming out of the water to go where? To Jesus. Oh man. Oh. Remember I tell you there's a destination, there's a walk, I'm laboring entering to his rest. Yeah, I, I'm trying to teach tonight. I really am. I, I'm, I hope you put these paths. You know, it's all about my walk towards him. I'm heading towards Jesus. That's what my walk is. That's my destination. That's where my rest is at, is in him. So now I'm off the boat. I'm ready to walk towards Jesus. That's the only reason I'm coming. I'm coming because he said come and I'm going to him. He is my rest. He is my place of safety. He is my place of security. If he said for me to come, then guess what? I'm going. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Now, all of a sudden, the wind starts becoming boisterous, vehement, violent. Now, the wind was always there. We saw it in verse 24, right? It says that for the wind was contrary. The wind was against them on the sea. But now it's amazing. You know, when he first got, think about this. He got out the boat and got on the water. He didn't notice the wind. The wind was there. The adversary is always there. But it's until you start coming, then all of a sudden now you recognize, oh, the adversary, he's there. You miss that, don't you? Until you start walking. Then all of a sudden you recognize, oh, there is an opposition. The adversary is there. The adversary has always been there. It's the time when you start, now I'm going to walk with God. Here now you see, oh, then all of a sudden here comes the opposition. Even the opposition was always there. You know, here's an analogy for you, right? You know, you know, you got you you're in a church, you're in a ministry, you know, all of a sudden you're like, you know something, I'm gonna I'm gonna put and say you were caught up in fornication. You know, I'm gonna put away fornication. I am done with fornication. I'm done I'm, I'm no longer gonna have a sex outside of marriage. I'm gonna keep myself until I get married. Right? And then all of a sudden you notice that sister that was in here. That was your flavor, your your like, man, that girl fine. And that girl's always been here. But now all of a sudden you just noticed. And it seems like she just noticed you, because now she's speaking to you. When you just made that decision, I'm walking with God here, here comes the opposition. And again, nothing wrong with that sister. Right? It's nothing wrong with her. It's where your lust is. It's where the opposition is. It's where the adversary knows to play with you at. To get you like, oh, I know you ain't trying to walk. You need to continue walking the flesh. I'm going to dominate you. So the opposition shows up. That was always there, but now you recognize it. And here comes the wind. And now you take your eyes off going towards Jesus and putting your eyes on the adversary. That's your crossroad. And I love how Minister Hill said it, right? It's not, you're looking for these grandiose crossroads we're going to get to, you know, where, you know, where it's like life or death situations. They don't understand these are life or death situations as well. But in our mind, we're looking, we're looking on that kind of grandiose scale. Notice it's the day-to-day transitions, decisions you have to make. Those are the crossroads. Where you are at, where Christ is, and where the adversary is there. When I get an example, I get, when that sister approaches you, what do you say next? That's the crossroad. And God will take, and you'll hear the fear of God, leave that alone. Remember, you made a commitment to me. But here's the flesh like, maybe that's God. Maybe she's the one. Because I didn't notice her before. Now you've got to make a decision. And now we're going to tempt Christ, right? We're going we're gonna to rationalize our, rationalize our bondage, you know, uh, be, because we're caught up, right? You know, we're saying, well, that maybe that was God. Because it's something we want. 
You're at that crossroad. So verse 30, when he saw the wind. Now, how do you see the wind and didn't see, see Christ? I don't know. How do you see wind? I mean, these things are, I'm telling you, you read these, how do you see wind? You can hear it. How do you see it? But he saw the wind, boisterous, you know, but he was afraid. <laughs> and then he began to sink. See, some of us are sinking. See, our faith should be secure in Jesus. That's why I'm telling this prayer and fasting, he's trying to get you back up where you can back through, you can walk again. He's lifting you up out of the water. Right? Because some of you are sinking. You ain't drowned yet, but you're sinking. And at least he had enough nerve, to, uh, sense to say, Lord, save me. Now all of a sudden, he called on God. He said, Lord, save me. You, you know, so you, you know, he didn't say, Jesus, save me. You know, it's amazing how we are, right? Uh, you know, with Jesus being his, his formal name, you know, that they recognize him as Jesus. He said, Lord, I'm going to call your deity, deity now. Save me, God. You know, we're going to put away all the preaching. Now, now he is deity. He is God. God save me. And I'm going to tell you, it gets to a place in our life where we're going to have to recognize that only God can save us. And, but guess what God is waiting for you to do? Call on him. Because some issues that you are dealing with now, you can't save yourself. You are sinking. You have to call on God to ask Him to save you. I'm saying, to me, that's what this prayer and fasting has been all about for me personally. I have to call on God to save me. There's things in my flesh that I don't have a power to defeat it. And if I keep going down the same path, it's going to overthrow me. I have to call on God. To save me. The things that are hidden. The things that, are, that only me and God knows. The things that are going to cause corruption for me later. God's like, call on me and, you, and I will bring forth salvation. I will deliver you from that bondage, but you've got to call on me. He's waiting for you to call. Call on the Lord. And He said, He will save you. If, G, if, if Peter didn't call him, guess what? We're going to be reading about Peter now. He'd be gone. No, Jesus didn't do anything until he called. Don't miss that. We we were on read verse 31. Immediately Jesus stretched out forth his hand. Why did Jesus stretch forth his hand? Because Peter said, save me. What does that mean? Again, faith. Faith is a, we have a response. We have a response to faith. If you truly say you trust in God, you need to respond. (laughs) God's waiting for your response when it comes to faith. See, again, we saw why God was greedy with that other generation, right? We agreed with Israel because they didn't mix faith with what was preached to them. They didn't respond to faith. They, their response was, I mean, they had no response. What, what was your response at? All the time they murmured, they complained, they, was in, they didn't respond to God. God like, you didn't call on me to save you? See, faith requires your response. He's like, God, don't you see me out of drawing? He said, yeah, I see you, but do you want to be saved? Some folks don't want to be saved. We assume God knows what we want. What we want. God knows what you need, but he's waiting for you to call. Because see, some of us want to be saved so we can go do it again. Oh, we don't even go there, right? We don't, you know. Hey, I'm just mad because I got caught right now. God, just take away the hurt and the pain. 
But as soon as that hurt and pain is gone, I'm going right back to the lust of my flesh. Oh God, let me just do this one more time. One more drink, one more sip. Right? One more act of fornication. One more act of disobedience, God. Then after that, God, I'm good. I, I, I'll leave it alone. I just need to fulfill my lust one more, just one more time. Because God, it felt so good. Just one more time. God, I, just one more time, God. God's like, you ain't done with it yet. Call on me when you're done with it. To verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, called him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He's like, why did you doubt? What do you mean by that? Why did you, you take your eyes off of me when you was heading towards me and turn your eyes towards the opposition? And the wind was always there. And then verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. It's amazing how that works, right? Now all of a sudden the wind ceased. We're all in the ship, and then the wind ceased. Here's the thing about, again, God's like, hey, I have no problem with opposition. You just got to call on me to get delivered from it. I'm going to tell you, opposition will cease when, you, when you're walking with God. I'm going to tell you, you know how, I, 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 how opposition ceases when you're walking with God? Because you won't even notice it. I'm too caught up with Him. I mean, you pass by, everybody, somebody, you pass by something, and people are like, did you notice that? No, I, I didn't. I was focusing where I was going. I didn't, didn't even see that. Well, you could have got blindsided. Well, you know, but I got to my destination. See, I'm labored to enter into his rest. This rest is in Christ. I'm not going to be distracted by the opposition. My faith and trust is in Jesus. He can cause the wind to cease. And then I can get to verse 33, right? When it says, then, when they were in the ship, they came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. In your time of temptation, he knows how to secure you, able to keep you, able to sustain you, that you'll be able to endure the temptation. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.